Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Catherine Newman is the author of the memoirs Catastrophic Happiness and Waiting for Birdie, the middle grade novel One Mixed Up Night, the kids' craft book Stitch Camp, the best-selling how-to books for kids, How to Be a Person and What Can I Say, and the new novel, We All Want Impossible Things. She edits the non-profit kids' cooking magazine, Chop Chop, wrote the etiquette column for Real Simple Magazine for 10 years, and has been a regular contributor to the New York Times, O, the Oprah Magazine, Parents Magazine, Cup of Joe, and many other publications. She lives in Amherst, Massachusetts with her family. I'll dive a little bit into the book. I was rereading the last part last night, like I needed any extra prompt to be crying. I mean, <laughs> virtually going from laughter and it is a laughter through the tears. There felt like so much of you in this and I don't know you personally. So that's either it could be an and or right it's not a no or a yes or a it could maybe be between I think it's just a lot a yes, of you honestly just yeah. a yes <laughs> okay <laughs> so, so let me just dive in and that's the other thing by the way whatever I just did that was what I call small talk that's all I got for okay. small talk um okay. okay so let's just dive in so if that's the case if we all want impossible things that was simultaneously heartbreaking and then laugh out loud, irreverent. Um, I can't say I love everything Anne Lamont has written because I haven't read everything she's written, but there is a sense of her just being mm-hmm. unapologetically her mm-hmm. that is very strong throughout your book. I love that. Okay. And when I say everyone will love you, I actually think there might be people who don't get it at all. And in that case, I want them to call themselves out so that I know to avoid them because if they don't get it, I don't want to. Thank you for that. You can find those people on Goodreads. (laughs) That's why I tell my authors, don't ever go to Goodreads unless you're just going as a reader. You never go to your own page. I don't know what their deal is, but whatever, let them keep it. Yeah. But you, so there is this sense that it's you in there. And I'm not going to go through and pick what I think is is fiction or, or memoir, because I know, having worked with writers, that there's going to be you in it. But how did you make that choice then, knowing, as a background for listeners, you went through a similar situation with your best friend of many, many years. And so the the core theme of that strong female friendship and the loss of it is definitely something you've experienced. But how did you make a decision or was it made for you? Was it made as you were writing memoir fiction? Which way am I going on this? Because that's something a lot of writers face. That's a really good question. I, uh, 
Well, I think weirdly, and I have written more memoir than fiction. I've only before now written YA fiction. Um, I wrote one, like a middle grade novel. So memoir really is my jam. And it was really strange to write something and then remember that I could just make shit up like really, really. And that was really unsettling to me. Like it's a certain kind of, I love constraints in general. I always, I don't know if I was saying this on the Zibby podcast. I was just telling someone this and I don't know if it was Zibby, but that I like those, um, it's like those cooking shows where they give you a basket of things yes. to make dinner this with. This is all you have. Yeah. You have a ham and a bag of lifesavers and like a sponge <laughs> cake and like make you're like, dinner. You're like me as a chef. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're that. like, okay, it, it, maybe it's going to suck, but like, I know what I'm working with. And I always feel yes. like memoir is that where it's like, you have two kids you know, a really sweet husband and like a, a little bit of mental illness, go, you know, and you're like, ah, whatever, like it might not be that interesting, but, and then fiction is just this bottomless well, like you're just standing, looking down and like the whole world is your oyster. And that is very strange. And I hewed very close to memoir because I kind of couldn't deal with the bottomlessness of fiction. Like at some point I thought, oh my God, this is fiction. Maybe she doesn't die. (laughs) My family was like, you have a paragraph, (laughs) you have a paragraph. And 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 that was your, and that's where, that's where I'm like, oh, maybe this is in fact a romantic comedy. And she like (laughs) wakes up and it's fine, you know? And then I was like, okay, that's not really the book I'm writing. But so fiction, A, you need sort of less permission for fiction because it's such a great cover. I did not need to like run every single thing by every actor in this Yes. Well, that's it. That's one of the main, it goes in the prose column, right? So that was helpful. They, I mean, all of the relevant people signed off on it um, as after it was written, but also fiction for me, the main, what I needed like plot device wise, I needed her here. Mm. I needed her to come to me. And that is really hilarious. Like if you knew me in real life, you would be like, oh my God, you are so ridiculous. That was always your fantasy. And then I write a book in which she comes to die like a block away from my home. Like that is wish fulfillment, but also it was a really good plot device. Like I couldn't corral the plot with her. Sorry about my weight glove. I (laughs) am like a sort of medical situation. I'm not just trying to be. Yeah, you're not my. Yes, I get Um, it. But it was. So that was like a really funny thing. That was a combination of like, I just needed the plot to get small. I needed the, I needed it all to happen here. But also like, what a pleasure for me to reimagine her death taking place right at my, like Mm. in my town, instead of me schlepping to Brooklyn, which is in fact, what happened in real life. So there were many sort of reasons to go the fiction route. Did they, did they, when I say they, I'm guessing, did you have this sold before you wrote it? Did you? No, Okay. no, I would, I can never sell something before I write it because I'm so superstitious and I feel, and I never have like writer's block. Not that I'm always so productive, but I, I have so many deadlines and I, if I don't write, we don't pay our bills. Like it's not mysterious. I just have to write. But I feel like if I sold something I hadn't written, I would immediately never write again. 
<laughs> I would just be like paralyzed with imposter syndrome or the impossibility of it. So no, I had written it completely before I sold it. Okay. I I really like that. I always recommend, and I know that not everybody does it. And of course there are exceptions to the rule, but I have to say that I want every writer to be fully committed to whatever story. And sometimes writing, and we'll yeah. get a little bit into your process, but if you're a pantser, some people pants many thousands of words, which I still find totally. Wait, remind me what a pantser. Wait, pants means fly by the seat of your pants. Okay, you okay, got, got it. You right, right, like right. It. And here there are some little caveats. So I should I should try to write these things down so I can tell people. Not that anybody cares really where they are other than to know, oh, it's okay. So anytime anybody takes on a label, I think the only purpose of it is for you to say, it's okay. And here's my next step, right? Yeah. Like right. this is where I know what I'm being. Yeah. And now I can move along. So a pantser generally can be somebody who just, just writes. They can say, I don't write with a plot. I don't do plotting. But my experience with writers is, there are many pantsers who actually have it in here, but uh, some people who are new to writing maybe and or new to fiction versus memoir, which is a totally different beast, as you've said, <laughs> can't hold all of it in there. And then they don't ever experience, I don't believe in writer's block. I believe it's something else. Something else is happening. Maybe it's physical, like you've got, like something's happening. Give yourself a break. You can't be creative <laughs> to the max when some other shiz is going on. Or it could be, I, I do a pyramid and it's like mind, body, spirit. And the mind could be imposter syndrome or something else where you're overthinking it. And then the the spiritual, and I get a little bit woo-woo, but the spiritual could be even emotional, relational. Like you're having fighting with your partner or your family or at your workplace or whatever. It's not a block on your writing, maybe a challenge to your creativity because it hasn't got the space. Mm -hmm. So all of that, mm -hmm. people who are going through that and are generally used to being able to just write as a pantser, if they plot nothing, they can struggle to write long form. And that's another difference. I know that in your background, you come from, and I met you using air quotes <laughs> on a book in a book club and a Zoom meeting and seeing all of these other people. And I have to raise my hand and say, I'm new to you. I haven't been reading real life since I've not lived in the US and it's been a few years. So I may have read some of your articles, but I, I don't remember. You were getting fond all over. Everyone was loving you. So clearly you write articles and resonate with readers and have this memoir, nonfiction leaning. Going from articles, which I think you could probably bang out in your sleep if you wanted to, just I'll sleep over here and my hand will go over here and write it. Moving to fiction or long form, that's quite different. And doing it if you're not plotting even a skeleton plot. So I generally recommend it like at least five plot points, just get them out of your head onto paper. And then if you go astray, you've got somewhere to go back to. So it sounds like you're a pantser, but- No, I'm not a pantser. You're not a pantser. Do you write no. everything, everything out, pl plotting spreadsheets? Not every plotting? single thing, but, and I don't do it on the computer. I, I hand 
Yeah. I do it on a weird like map. I there's, no weird. <laughs> there's no I know, weird. I know. There's pods. Um, no, but I, so I, because I was new to fiction when I was working on this book, I followed the advice of a book and made, I learned the term beats, which I swear yeah. I just didn't even know. Yeah. And I, there was a great, a great in quotes arc, which was a person dies. Like there was a built in story. That's a story, right? A life comes to an end. So, and then for me, the trick was figuring out where the narrator, where the main characters, um, growth map, how it mapped yes. onto that other, um, kind of thing moving through time, right? right? So there's whatever, I drew a really complicated picture of like the sort of decline of the her, of her yeah. beloved and where she's sort of where her growth opportunities were as a person and I yeah. and I did know how it was going to end and I don't I don't just mean that I knew that the friend was going to die. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say almost the friend dying uh was not even for me, not necessarily a theme. Yes, it was like, how do we go through this? And I, I've not lost anyone that I was that close with, but it did make me think I've got to reach out to my girlfriends. I've got like this little group of, of girlfriends. I've got to, I've got to reach out to them because they are the people, even if you've been away for years that kind of know you, they know the core of you. They loved that that person, they probably see you better than they see yourself, than you see yourself. And you do have that interaction with Edie and, and Ash. And I love, now I don't generally do spoilers because it's a little bit about the books. I hope everyone buys this book and then buys it as a gift for other people who can, (laughs) who like irreverence. Like we don't need anybody going, Ooh, like clutching their pearls, but we are in Australia. So hopefully at least in this market, you won't get too many of those people. Um, and are like, Oh, how could they say that? But watching not only that arc and knowing you're right, you had that, we'll call it, it sounds so painful. And I never mean to be glib at all when I talk about this, because she was a real person. Her name wasn't Edie, but she was a real person. But she was that container, right? She was that box that they give you on the baking show. Like, here's what you got. What are you going to make? And you had some other great, amazing things thrown in. But watching the other theme, which is one life, and this is where I really get stuck myself on this arc thing, because it it presumes that we end up down here. And I'm saying for me, all story is growth. So you never actually get back down here. You're up here. It's ascending. And, and then once you reach that step, guess what? You're at the bottom of a something else. So we've got all these stories going, but watching ashes transformation throughout whilst being fully surrendered to the guilt. Look, I have never <laughs> done this and I didn't even write. On I like them. to see all and your posts. Yeah. Like <laughs> um, some of it would be alliteration because you have certain sense. I'm like uh, the sentence. So there is this beautiful mix with your writing of a beautiful surrendered whole story and just some really, really good writing. So giving writers who may be listening permission, 
if you plotted it and you were using the beat system and there's save the cat and there's the seven and there's the <laughs> 21 and then there's a snowflake. And I say, go at it, have at it, use whatever structure, but get something out of your head down. So you never get lost on the ocean and then your oars float away and you're like, I don't know what happened here. I can't do anything. <laughs> Right. Whether you're writing memoir or not. So some people have to create a container and you had the container. It was yeah. this friend's death. Maybe I'll just jump to there is I'm really torn on Hemingway because I'm a, a feminist at heart. So I like to only know as much as I know, <laughs> which isn't a ton. But he has many quotes that people use. And one mm. of them that I love is you just write the truth, just write the truest sentence, you know, and that's very much on this micro level. And then whether it was him or someone else, oh, writing's easy. You just bleed on the page. And that is what I feel no bleeding necessary, but that is what I felt in your book. How did that feel? Hopefully cathartic in a way. I mean, not like you're oh, now I have closure and now I finished the book. I'm good. But how did that feel going through that as reliving a process you did? And she's a lot like you. She's not exactly like you. So like you said, you could have a little fun. But what was that like? Were you challenged when you were bleeding on the page? Or is that something like you're like, no, I have to bleed on the page or? I think I have always bled on the page so that I think I've made a career of bleeding on the page and then pointing at the blood and laughing about it. So (laughs) I think that's like my career in a nutshell. Like I I wrote a lot when the kids were little, I wrote a lot about parenting and a lot about my sort of obsessive fear that, that they would die and that I would lose them. And um, so it is familiar to me to be way out there, you know, with, um, with, the crazies and the pain. In terms of my own grief, I waited five years to write it. And I really think that was like the right amount of time, weirdly, because on the one hand, I did not just like fall completely to pieces while I was writing. And on the other hand, it was such a treat to like wallow in grief again I, and it was like for work, you know, Yeah, like like you had an excuse to everyone. Hey, this is why Sorry, everybody. I'm because of the work I'm doing, I need to (laughs) sit with a box of her letters and all of my photo albums and cry on the floor like every day because it's my writing. It's my process. Um, And that was really precious actually. And I live with the, well, I don't really anymore because my kids don't live here, but my family, my husband and kids are the most loving, indulgent people. It would be hard to overstate how supportive they are and how much they make fun of me in a supportive way. I don't know. I think anybody who reads the book, like if I know Bell, the Bell, yeah. The bell character is very my daughter, but I mean, like verbatim, my daughter. (laughs) So every night I would like sit down and they would ask me how the writing had gone. I wrote it in a really condensed way over one season. I wrote it over the second pandemic winter and I wrote a lot and I just wrote through and got it. So you didn't edit as you went, you just, or do you naturally kind of, you're, you're an writer. I really write in a final draft form and that's, I don't recommend that. And I, it's, I know it's like the worst, it's not advice because it's the worst. Well, here's the thing. It's, 
then you have to look at, and I've worked with writers like going from freelancing and article writing and having to have quick turnaround time and it's such a strength and then fiction. If you get all the words out, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you're fine, you're fine. Yeah. But <laughs> you're right. Nobody should try to emulate you can't that. try to do that. It's parallel. Just, right? Yeah. Right, right. For me, I will say that one thing I see my friends do, and these are usually friends who don't write for a living because if you write for a living, you really freaking can't do this. <laughs> but I see people get really lost in the editing process where every day they sit down and they spend the first two hours of their day editing the stuff they wrote before. And then they're maybe researching the thing they're going to. And I'm like, oh my God, no, just like write. You just have to write, write as fast as you can. Edit, well, that's it. Right to the end. Yeah, like write it through because they're so. I think you can so easily lose the energy of a story or yes. the thread of a story. And I, I, so I was writing in this really intense way, all of which is to say that I would sit down to dinner and my family would be like, tell, you know, how was it? And then I would just like cry or be, <laughs> I would like make them laugh about something. And it was a yeah. really rich experience, grieving, like grieving afresh in this kind of slightly less painful way yeah because of time well I think time and that other component of having I, permission sounds weird but I've read a lot of things about when people are grieving and grieving isn't just like oh you do it for this long and then it's done or blah 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 you know oh no, okay I, that's but that's not our experience in life we no. don't do anything for a short time and then then it's fixed Right? No, if, it's if, such a shapeshifter. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm just trying to get out of this weird sun. That's situation. okay. I'm sure I've got it. Oh, it's such a shapeshifter, and it's triggered by. It's always like re-triggered by by happy things or sad things or like Prince died, and that was like a really shared thing with my friend, and then I like grieved her all over again. You know, yeah. like just these intense. Anyway, yes, I totally agree. I think grief is so not a straight line, and there's. Yeah, it just is. I and and people are gone from you permanently. Like it's very persistent. Yeah. I, I have I to say. This well, so the 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 call that I was on really quickly, I was like, I can jump in for like 15 minutes and then I have to go. Her story is about her husband. She also fictionalized it and she's one of my clients. So I got to go and she's been on the podcast heaps and heaps. So she had to go through that process of knowing, am I going to write memoir? She thought it was maybe, but not. And one thing, just being her friend is noticing for her. And I think it's, it's a bit over six years now, her husband. And sometimes she's still struck by the permanence of it. Like, yeah. wait a minute, but yeah. just never. So, and I think the challenge, and, and I guess that's why I think it's super important for books like yours to be out there, not only because I love deconstructing process and talking to people about how they felt, but we need more books where we can feel the core of truth there, no matter what you may or may not have fictionalized in there. Mm -hmm. it, it is, it just comes with that truth. You like I would say, I would put money on and I don't gamble. This is Catherine or at least how she sees herself in here in this book. 
And I can't pick out, oh, she would never actually say that, or she doesn't like bacon or whatever, <laughs> nothing like that, but saying, this is, this is really you, right? And we need more books like that, that feel like truth, even if they're fictionalized, mm-hmm. so that more readers who may not have experienced the grief or have, but don't give themselves permission to feel it the way it really is, which is on a wave yeah, yeah, yeah. and getting re-reminded or re-triggered yeah. because it's only through seeing these things that that an individual can say, oh, I'm not doing grief wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I was, you know, I was out at the store and then this happened and it could be something that anybody else who doesn't know doesn't, they don't know. And the yeah. worst is if somebody might say out loud to somebody else, like I especially want people who haven't suffered grief close grief to read this. So maybe they get that compassion to stop even thinking, but definitely saying anything along the lines of, isn't it easier yet? You know, time, time heals all wounds. It should just go away. Like people, maybe people do. I thought if you had something amputated, would they say, you know, stop crying get about that arm. Yeah, yeah, right. That foot. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, get over it. Yeah, wear gone. your prosthetic and quit whining about it. Yeah, I right. know. Would people yeah. say that? And you're like, but I yeah. don't have a prosthetic best friend yeah. from childhood. I've got these memories. So having permission every now and again to fully surrender to mm. the grief, mm-hmm. what a mm-hmm. gift to you. Like, yeah. can you set something else up for yourself and a few... <laughs> Whenever you want it, where you can do it, and you just tell me, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm writing something else." By the way, it's it's too bad that you don't publish stuff or don't write stuff that isn't gonna get published and that you're not gonna shop around because your excuse would be a lot stronger. Like, oh yes, I tried. I tried to get that other thing that I wrote that was the reason I was, you know, consumed by my grief again for that time. <laughs> it just never got published. Oh well, like. It's you're never going to read it out there. That's okay. But I, that was why I did that. I just, I guess I long for a world where we see more work like this, Uh you know, and the work that I do with writers. So secret agent and also have a consultancy where I work with writers. A lot of them are newer, but even writers who've been writing for a a while who need community, maybe with a, a place where they won't feel silly for saying, oh, I got stuck at this. Or, you know, this is, you know, tripping me up or how did you deal with this? You know, just somewhere to vent some of the things that are sort of unique to writers. And so I feel very passionately about demystifying the process. From the outside, we look at these beautiful books on bookshelves and we're like looking at our in-process work going, uh... Maybe I should yeah. stop. It's not like that, but that yeah, it's pop out like that. It's funny I, when you say that. I think that it makes me think that one of the things that I'm lucky about is that my characters were in memoir. You know, yeah, that's more like me. But that so much of what it's about is these really messy people. Yeah, and so I don't actually. My goal is not is not the tidy end product. Like it's gonna look good, you know, it's gonna yes. have covers and look like a regular book. But I do feel liberated that often what the what the story is about is the mess. 
Yeah. And that it's never going to be tidy, really, that that's kind of for me, I swear to God, I turned 50 and was like, oh, things don't really resolve into good or bad. It's all it's everything all the time. It's just all of it. It is just it's like that. Some of what is in this book is that her best friend is dying. It's completely unsurvivable. And she is surviving. She's thriving in some ways. She has this beautiful life, which is totally impossible because she's losing her closest friend. Mm. And I feel like that, that it's just like, yeah, that's it. It's just totally impossible. And that's how, that's like what we have to live with. Yeah. Well, it's funny, even thinking about that, well, I would call it a sub theme. It's for me, the real arc is Ash's arc, right? And it's, all of the ways she has to, and you give, by the way, any reader who only likes to read happy endings. I mean, again, to your point, messy, happy. Well, I mean, comparatively, yeah, like as happy as you're going <laughs> to get when it's a book about someone dying and then you know that's going to happen because it happens to everyone. Like none of us escape, but watching Ash and even in the tempo of your writing. So that's another thing because you fully embraced the messiness. I think maybe it has given you that freedom and also all of these years of writing other things. So you've got enough external validation, hopefully of people saying, Oh, I like that because even I look on the micro level at sentence structure and whilst also being so in the story that I'm crying and then laughing out loud. And I look, this is what I do for a living. So I'm used to people saying, what, what, what? And you know, it's good if they just stop asking because you're making noise all the time. Like you don't stop making noise or blowing your nose or whatever it is. Um, Like God forbid anybody video me while I was reading something really good, but there's, there's a tempo, there's a word choice. I mentioned alliteration, but some of the sentences. So for people who are all caught up in, like you were saying, if you've heard of people writing and then they go back and edit what they just wrote before. And I never say that because I think, what if you cut all that stuff you worked real hard on? How sad are you going to feel like, how bad will you feel then? Don't worry about it. You will have to edit it again, whatever editing you do now, you're going to have to go back and do that already. So just save it and get to the end and then go back and do it. But when you've got these sorts of things living and you've got this uh, in your head and you've got this experience and validation of people resonate, if they like my voice, they like my voice. So that's a sort of freedom too. You know, you're not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And you know, because you've subbed a trillion times, that some people are just going to get it or they're not. And of course we all, our ego is involved. And so we're all going to keep sort of like gravitating to the ones that say yes most. But when it comes to long form, it's not just one person's decision by and large anymore in publishing anyway. So it's, it's everyone. So even if the one person you're used to getting yeses from can't say, no, it's not about you and your writing, but you've got this, I think I wrote almost lyrical quality. And I, I just like, it floored me because I thought, how does she get like this? <laughs> and this is that thing of finished book on the bookshelf versus what you've written. But I'm like you said, I think you probably write really clean 
are you thinking in that way? So you've so surrendered to your process and your writing, you've got it plotted out on (laughs) Magic Beats board that when you're writing each scene, and this was sort of handy, the structure was it could very much be scenes. You didn't have to worry about, oh, let me draw it together. You knew it's going to be chronological with some little memories thrown in, but by and large, chronological. But you had that. And then you would have this great banter. Well, look, if you had in your life and you've always had in your life, lots of great banter, then you're just, (laughs) just observing (laughs) and recording. And I'm jealous because I thought I literally had that thought, like, will I ever get to have that with my kids? I have now an 18 year old going to be 16. They're all December birthdays. God help me. And just turned 10 and, and my youngest being a daughter and I'm spend the most amount of time with her. And I'm like, will we get that? Or will we just be fiery at each other? I don't want to move into that place where I'm going to be like, I want to be that character in that book. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be, I will never have the, the background of actually even that foundation of living on the East coast is very much Uh, a vibe. And I have Jewish friends and I think there's a certain, and I think it's actually in a lot of DNA, if you've gone through so much struggle yeah, and right. trauma as a people, then I know. It there's is. a reason you're just not like, to kill me for saying something like this. But my experience has been anecdotally, and then just reading, you have access to that, like gallows humor. And but just even like really inconsequential wordplay humor, like she had with her daughter, primarily with Belle, but also with Jules and also with Honey, who had a very different vibe. So I think, especially in a book about grief, knowing that you had that balance and knowing it's a reflection of real life, but it makes sense. I want to jump in without saying, oh, let me be that. I'm not actually going to be that. I'm only, I only have access to the humor I have access to. (laughs) I'm only going to banter how I banter, Uh, but you let me live in it for a bit. And so that was very, that was very freeing. What, when you finished this book, did it make you say, yes, I will write another, we're going to call it memoir-ish, or I'd like to, to inch closer to fiction or where are you now? What are you like? Now you got this out. <laughs> I know. I'm just, it's so funny because like I was saying before about being too nervous to sell anything I haven't written, the editor who, um, from HarperCollins who bought the book, she tried to buy it in a two book deal and it would be this book and then some imaginary other book. I hadn't even like conceived of. And I was like, oh, no, no, like can't sell a book. I, I That's not even like a spark in my eye. You know, I don't even know what it is. That said, I now seem to be almost done with a second, very <laughs> memoir novel. So, so why do people struggle against it? I think, well, I don't, I don't know why, I mean, but just I, yeah. go with it. It makes it better. It, it is. I mean, the, the truth is it is, I have spent so much time writing that kind of um like women's 
perspective, female bodied perspective. Oh, that's it. I, I, I hope you're talking about the book you were talking about in book club. Yeah. yeah and something that. about women of a certain age is all I'll yeah. say, but yes, yeah, please. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. gagging. For yeah. It. And I feel like I, you know, when I wrote a lot about sort of motherhood and I, I feel like I have invested so much in this, in this type of writing. And there's always like a, I mean, it's not lost on you, but like, there's always a feminist undercurrent, you know, there's a critique running through about, um, about marriage, about sexuality, about, I mean, there's (laughs) like, there, you know, the Ash character casually mentions like eight times she's been sexually assaulted (laughs) and she mostly, mostly cracks her up. But like that type of um, undercurrent, that's yes. in the other book too. There's just a feeling of um, the cost of wifeliness and motherhood and the toll on the body and the toll on the psyche. Oh, and so, um, that's interesting. I had not thought so, about that, the toll on the body part. Like yeah. obviously you'd made a, just probably an offhand comment, but I was like in the, in the other meeting, I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> Why don't we talk about this? So I'm, I'm glad you're talking about it. But also that idea, I think we are in a place, another one of my clients wrote a book and it's, I think it's a little bit trite to call it just a feminist revenge thriller, but it is primarily. <laughs> although I, although that does get my heart to racing. Yeah. Like, well, I, I highly recommend it. It's called Daughters of Eve. Um, highly, highly recommend. And if you like it, share it, especially because it is based out of like what you were just talking about, this latest thing you've written, where, and actually even the the point about Ash in this book, not just me too, but that sort of going back in your mind. Now we've got a, I'll call it compartmentalized, where we do sort of Ash is laughing and you don't always laugh, but like, what am I going to do with that? If it did happen and it did. What do I, you know, like the, and uh, there's nothing to be done. And that, that isn't to say that on a spectrum, there are people who need to do something. Of course, of course, of course. Right, right. Yes. It's like most yeah, laughing about it is not the solution for everybody. Oh, well, and (laughs) by, by the same token, not laughing isn't. So I just think laughter, this where I get a little woo woo and I don't want to quote a Tony Robbins thing. So how do I do this? It's like having a physical something can actually change the way you feel about something. So if you can laugh about it, and I think that's the strength and that's all through this book, I'm sure it's in the next book that you're near finished or finished, whatever, um, where we're looking at things and we take the points that we can use as a jumping off point to shift something like this isn't working for me. So Ash goes on a journey And she doesn't go back to where she ended up. That's the beauty of it. She is a different person and not just for her loss of Edie, but for, it was like, did somebody else say this? And I'm using it. If I am, I apologize. It's almost like a coming of age, but it's like another age. Uh, Interesting. You Uh see her go through this transformation and always balancing this lightheartedness. She is you you wrap her up going off into the world hopeful with something she's going to do 
with a new something she learned about herself and not just, I'm not going to sleep around, which was fine, by the way. Like I really appreciated that part, not the sleeping around, but just the realness like that, that resonates. I could totally see that happening. And why are we being so judgy, even the people in her life, but that she recognized the role she played for her friend and was now being a different person, was taking steps towards something else. So she was this before and now she's this after. That's mm-hmm. the story arc. I mean, yeah. we're, we're on board. If you're on board with your narrative voice, you're on board with it. But her arc was that. And yeah. so people could have a false sense of, oh, she ended up back over here, but she definitely is up at this higher place. And more similar to what we chatted about earlier, like this is who I am now. There's no sense trying to be a different person than who I am. What if I just lean more into who I am and explore new facets of that, right? If we stop wasting our time trying to be something, if we stop wasting our time trying to be straight haired when we are clearly not straight haired, what could come of it? What could we enjoy? What could, who could we be? Um, and so you've got your listeners aren't going to see me with my starry eyes, the luxury of being read so well by you. It's so luxurious. I'm just like, ah, bring it, bring up what I did and how it was. It's so luxurious. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. This really, and I feel so honored you, you came on. It's a new podcast or trying to grow, but it was because I was so moved. And when I see writing like that, that hits that place that I'm often talking to other writers about, that's what I want them to read. If you're going to read a reference book, go read this. Like, yeah, yeah, William Zinzer and and the Mott's Bird by Bird. Also, because it's told with a narrative, which can help. But books like this, which showed the under. So for me, the writing is all about the what's happening underneath, which is why books... You can write a sci-fi if someone were so inclined that was memoirish, right? Nobody from the outside is going to say, oh, that's clearly your life on the planet. I don't <laughs> read science fiction, so I can't <laughs> even come up with something. Sorry. But they wouldn't say that from the outside. So they maybe get a pass. But the thing that moves anybody in any story like this is the recognition of truth and this universal struggle that we have with being who we are or going through death and grief and how do we do it? Your character, I could only aspire to be as generous. She was really hard on herself, which is which is a truth. I'm sure anybody would be, but from the outside, getting the chance to be a reader or Dr. Soprano or any of the other characters who saw her, she was everything you'd want someone to be. So being able as the writer, having that gap between, oh God, see, and that was another thing. She's got cats in the book. So I was like, there are going to be cats in real life because there's a real warmth and connection. (laughs) But getting to be the the friend in all the ways, in Mm -hmm. proximity, in the way I responded, getting to rewrite, and I'm going to make myself cry thinking about this. It was so good. But getting to rewrite little pieces just for yourself and for your Edie, right? To do it messy, but with such heart and acceptance. So we talk about surrender and acceptance, and I overuse these words all the time, but you show that. And that's how she showed up for her friend. Never arguing. I think in books about, especially about dementia, you've got, or Alzheimer's, 
you've got some pieces in there where Edie is, as she's progressing towards her death, where she, it's not quite right. And the you also draw her as being someone who's not at the place where she's really angry about not knowing, a little frustrated, which resonates. So I've lost my granddad died and he, uh, my husband never got to meet my granddad. He, he met him, but he never got to actually meet him. Because by the time I was married to my now husband, he wasn't him anymore. So all we have, all I have to share would be these little notes he gave me when I was a girl. But you wrote that with such beautiful acceptance and like telling, giving permission to that character. You're not too messy. A, a tube falls out and, and other people will be freaking out. Maybe that's a little bit the mothering too. I mean, God knows. Oh, you have a whole section. I don't know if I tagged it, but it was like, this is going to be in the next book too, because I didn't know the truth of this as humans, but especially as women, like even more so our fluid, we are so <laughs> fluid. So when you hear we're 60%, 70% water, mm -hmm. my God, yes, we are. There's fluids, but there was none, none of that. Ash as a character was never, this is too much for me. You're too much. She would take breathers, but when something was happening around her, she never passed that off. She never balked. And that felt like what someone, what a mom who is otherwise blood averse might do if their child were hurting. Mm -hmm. And it's happening right now. I don't have time to be grossed out or scared yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to move in with total love. And this is just how it is. Love, we'll get this sorted. We'll change yeah. you. That was a huge theme and probably one of the things that brought me down over and over again, how there was no change in tempo. It was just constant love. Mm, and sometimes I wanted to write, by the way. So good. Well, and you know, so sometimes Ash is brought down or other characters are brought down and I get it, but I just, oh, like I said, got me. Thank you. So thank you, Catherine, for this book. And, and I can't wait to see the next one. I imagine I know what your agent, if your agent knows you well, she wouldn't have balked when you were like, no, no, no two book deals. <laughs> <laughs> no two book deals for me. I only write them one at a time, which is totally fine. Just not generally the way that agents are trying to do it. But like I said, <laughs> if she knows you, she knows. And also, like we said at the start, she would know if you could do anything but write, you would and you can't. So here we are. Here you are <laughs> <laughs> writing again. I cannot wait to see uh, that book. You. I cannot wait because just little hints of it. And I'm like, that is right up my alley. Mm -hmm. So publishers, agent, rights people, please sell that so we can get it over here in Australia. It all goes to say, you've written something that I'm happy to see you saw. There's already somebody else here in Australia reading it. And she posted before I even got to post anything about it. So I was like, ah, I better get on that. Um, <laughs> it's going to take, I think, the world by storm. You're going to have a lot more fans Thank worldwide you. because All of right. this. And those who understand and maybe fall just as in love with your best friend as you were. Thank you. Know. you. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that, lovely listeners, was our final episode for season one of Writers Talking. I hope you had as much fun as I did talking with all of these amazing writers about all sorts of aspects of writing that don't usually get chatted about. We're going to dive in even more in season two, which has already started recording, but you'll catch season two starting in January. Until then, I'm wishing you and yours a fabulous holiday season and a really exciting new year. See you in 2023. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more writers in conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.